Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Happy Father's Day. I want to share a little clip with you. Um, there's a couple of guys, Owen Strachan, Gavin Peacock, they wrote a great little book called The Grand Design. And believe it or not, God has a grand design for men and women. Uh, he especially has a grand design for men when it comes to stepping up in the areas of leadership, fatherhood. And around here, we're still going to celebrate biblical masculinity. We're going to celebrate um, biblical manhood. So we're excited about that. And uh, in his book, I just wanted to share a couple little clips with you, if I could, but there was a particularly low point in Israel's history, where much of the Israelites have walked away from the Lord, they've dove headlong into sexual immorality, into idolatry, and the prophet Ezekiel comes on the scene, and he writes this, and I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Strachan and Peacock write this. He says, God's speaking here about his search for a man to take initiative, to intercede and stand between the people and God's judgment that is coming. When a city was under siege, the men of the city were needed to breach any gaps in the wall in order to protect the people within. Now as then, God wants men who will stand in the breach. He wants men who refuse to go quietly in the night and will not allow women and children to suffer. He wants men like Abraham, Moses, Ezekiel, and the Apostle Paul to stand in the gap, pray and assume responsibility to lead themselves, their wives, children, and churches away from the wrath of God and towards the grace of God in Christ. Men, if we won't be the ones that bridge that gap and stand in the breach, nobody else is going to do it. This is a clarion call today to the men of, of Jesus, those that follow Jesus, to stand in that gap. We need men that will be men. Ladies, I'm going to beg you, pray for your husbands, pray for fathers. Don't ask them to get in touch with their feminine side. They were never meant to. And I don't even really mean that jokingly, but we, that's not what men were created to do. They're supposed to lead. They're supposed to stand in the gap. And when they don't, we will just repeat the history of the Israelites. Now, we will get knocked for standing for the truth, especially living in a world that right now is all about tolerance, and we have so misused and misappropriated that word that we need men that are willing to stand up and be men that will bridge that gap. I want to share with you men where we need to stand up and just how bad it has gotten. I'm a Major League Baseball fan. I am not a fan of what is happening in Major League Baseball today. The Los Angeles Dodgers are going to be hosting what they call Father's Day and a family day. A group is coming in called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They will have a transgender individual hanging on the cross with people dressed up in transgender attire circling the cross, mocking the God of the universe and really mocking masculinity and femininity and really making fun of anybody that would stand for any type of absolute truth when it comes to how we are created in the image of God. I bring that up because one, that should bother us. 
That's our God. That is my best friend. That is my Savior. That is my Heavenly Father that is being mocked. But two, we should be brokenhearted for the people that are engaging in this. Because as we're about to see, God is a God of grace and mercy, and He wants people to come to know Him. But He's also a God of justice. And He's also a God who will exercise His wrath. And we are supposed to stand in that gap and show people just who God is what he will not tolerate forever, because he will not put up with it forever. And as you're about to see, we don't absolutely have to freak out when these types of things happen, because we know that our God is greater, stronger, higher, bigger than any other, and he's in complete control. You'll see that in five short verses today. We only have five verses, but man, the punch that these five verses pack, man, the word of God is powerful. So if you would, just in honor of the king, because a trumpet is about to be blown, and as you're going to see, when trumpets were blown, it signified that kings were coming into town. Would you just stand with me as we read Revelation 11? We've only got verses 15 through 19 this morning as we go uh, verse by verse through Revelation. Beginning in Revelation verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Gang, you can have a seat. Thank you. So this angel, he blows this seventh trumpet, and it's signifying a couple of things. One, it's saying that judgment is coming. Again, God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. He's all holy. He's a God of righteousness. But it also tells us that we're on the brink of the second coming of the king. Jesus is about to come on the scene. The Old Testament gives us numerous examples of trumpets being blown whenever a king was about to come on the scene. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 39, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. They all speak to the coronation of kings that are coming. And so even though this seventh trumpet blasts in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we have to wait all the way until Revelation chapter 15 before we find out what happens at the blasting of the seventh trumpet. Because really it's the blasting of the seventh trumpet that brings about the seven bowl judgments. So what's going to happen in between? What happens in chapters 12, 13, and 14 when we start that in a couple of weeks? Well, so far from Chapter 4 up to chapter 11, we've been taking a look at what we call the seven seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments, and it's been from the perspective of Jesus and from heaven. This is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to rightfully take back what is his. Well, chapters 12 through 14, rewind, they go back again to the beginning of the tribulation from the seven seal judgments to the seven trumpet judgments. However, they do it from the perspective of Satan and two beasts that are called the Antichrist and the false prophet. We're going to take a look at them a whole bunch in the next three to four weeks to come. So we get to take a look at this diabolical figure that we call Satan. We're going to take a look at his puppet, the Antichrist, and then we're going to take a look at his prophet, 
that false prophet. So we're going to have some fun with that, but for today, we're in that little passage with that mighty punch in verses 15 through 19 that we just read. And if you get nothing else from today, you'll see on your sermon notes that there's what we call the big idea, the one overarching idea or what would be like our thesis statement. And that is that God has guaranteed that he will be worshipped by his followers. He will reward his followers and he will also punish those that reject him. So think about that for a moment. In a nutshell, there's almost all of scripture. God is going to make sure that he is going to be worshipped and glorified. He'll, he'll make, he's going to make that happen. doesn't matter what the world does doesn't matter what kind of groups like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, whoever else shows up, God is going to make sure that he is worshipped. And then he's going to make sure that in his grace, he gives rewards to those that follow him. Man, what a blessing. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve salvation, let alone all the rewards I'm going to get. But then the other thing that is actually quite comforting is that he will punish Jesus' rejectors. All the evil and the sin that's running rampant in the world, we don't have to get even. Because God is a God of justice, he'll take care of it. We'll get there in just a moment. But again, if you're note takers and you want to whip those out, we're going to take a look at God's glory, we're going to take a look at our rewards, and we're going to take a look at the unbeliever's punishment. Five things we're going to break down in five verses. Let me take us back to verses 15 through 17, if you've got your Bibles handy. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Note the first thing is that God has ordained, he has made sure that he will get praise for his sovereignty, and that invokes worship. God is going to get the praise for being sovereign. In other words, he is the reigner and the ruler over all things. These 24 elders, notice what they do. They fall on their face. There is the true picture of humility. The word humble or humility in the original Greek and Hebrew language both mean to make oneself low or to bow in obedience to. So these 24 elders make themselves low. They bow in obedience and they worship him. This is what we're created for. This is why I love Sunday. And this is also why I say I pray that when you get up in the morning, you don't go, oh, great, it's Sunday. I better drag my hiney to church. Better get the kids out of bed because they got to go to church too. I'm hoping that when you wake up, you go, this is Sunday. This is a day where 52 times a year I get to practice for what's going to take place in heaven. I get to gather together with other men and women from every language, nation, tribe, and tongue, and I get to go worship the Lord. Now, there's going to be an application piece to all five things that we're taking a look at today. And the first is simply this. It's a prayer for myself. It's a prayer for my family. It's a prayer for our church body. But I pray that you and I would be in awe of the greatness of God every single day. That we would wake up and go, God, I am in awe of the sun that you made to bring us warmth. I am in awe of the chemical elements that make up water that I am able to drink. I am in awe of the body that is able to reproduce other little beings in your image. I am in awe of the body that can metabolize the food that I have the privilege and blessing of getting to taste when I eat it, or that I can intake water and that that water will go into my system and it will refresh my body, and I'm just amazed at how all of that works together. I'm in awe of who God is. But let me say this, being in awe of God doesn't come naturally. I naturally worship all the wrong things. In fact, a great definition of sin is misplaced worship. 
It's worshiping all of the wrong things. The only way that I'm going to get there is if I have a plan for it. And I've discovered that I have to do at least three things when it comes to a plan for my life. Number one, I have to have a plan, a scheduled time for my devotional time and my prayer life. Those have to be scheduled or they just don't happen. Come on, anybody else admit it? If it's not scheduled, like you just don't do it. You ever found yourself waking up going, you know, I know I should do devotions now in the morning, but I'll just wait and do them at lunchtime. And then lunchtime rolls around and you're like, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to eat, so I'm going to throw this food in my face. I'll do it when I get home and I go to bed tonight or before I go to bed. Then you get home and you're just like, you know what, I'm exhausted. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow morning, God, this time I promise. If I don't schedule my time with the Lord, just like I should schedule date times with my wife and my two daughters, then it just doesn't happen. The second thing is, do you have a commitment to the local church? See, we actually see that throughout Scripture. It kind of makes me laugh when I hear people or, or, or see people who will come up to me and go, you know, Pastor, I'm all good with Jesus and stuff, but I really don't like church. I just don't like the people, and I don't like going, and, and I was built for quarantine, so I'm not going. And I, I, I think to myself, actually, I say this out loud because I'm not good at biting my tongue, but I, I said, do, do you know what the church is actually called? The Bride of Christ is one of the titles that the church has given. I said, could you imagine if you looked at me and you said, hey, Dave, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife. I'd throat punch you. Okay, probably not because the Holy Spirit would restrain. I'd want to throat punch you. But I would look at that other person and say, you know what? We're probably not going to be hanging out a whole lot together. Because if you don't treat my wife well and you don't love her, then, then we're going to have a problem. Imagine what Jesus thinks when people say, you know what, I'm cool with you, but I can't stand your bride. I don't think that he takes that. In fact, I'm not going to say I think I know that because I read in Scripture that he died for us so that he could cleanse us with the washing of his word. So I'm praying daily that we can't wait to be with the Lord, that we can't wait to be with the Lord's people. And then thirdly, that we're getting ourselves equipped. Now, I'm speaking to everybody, but especially to us men. Men, we're typically not good readers, but I will tell you that readers are leaders and leaders are readers. So we've got to train ourselves to read. Sometimes you might need to just pick up a good little book after you've done your devotional time. First and foremost, time in the Word, but you might need to pick up a good book or at least listen to something in, on audio and continue to grow in your knowledge of Jesus. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Otherwise, we can't disciple others in the process. Well, let me move us on. The 24 elders in verse 17 have fallen on their faces and they do what? They worship. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Note this, God's power is awesome, and that invokes worship of him. God will be glorified. That Greek word for almighty is pantocrator, which is kind of a neat word because it literally means possessing all power or having all rule. Now, I don't bring up Greek words just to bring them up for fun. I actually had a professor that said Greek and in Hebrew, your use of it should be a lot like your underwear. Great for support, but shouldn't be seen too often. So I like that. That's why we have Greek and Hebrew is because it gives us a great support. Sometimes we read certain words and it's not that our translations are in any way, shape or form bad. We got some great translations, but they can lose their thrust or their power in the process of translating, say from Hebrew, Greek or Aramaic into the English language. And so that word almighty, we just see the word almighty, and we've used it so many times that maybe we, we lose track of what that actually means, but it means that he possesses all power and that he rules over all things. There's nothing that is outside of his grasp or his capability. 
Now, another application piece for all of us, but especially dads, is are you teaching your kids, are you telling them about God's awesome power? And then are you letting that be seen in your life, the way you make decisions? Are you decisive and definitive, knowing that as long as I'm honoring and glorifying Jesus, we're moving forward in this as a family, and it doesn't matter what comes our way? Well, in verse 18, we get this quote from Psalm 2. It says, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. The third thing that we learn from this passage is that God's plan is accomplished, and it invokes worship of him. God's plan will be accomplished no matter what. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I don't know if you heard the progression, but the people plot against God in vain. They band together and try to rise up against him. The Lord laughs at their feeble plans. Then he rebukes them for their sin. Then he pours out his wrath, and then he installs the true king. Well, five of those are happening on a daily basis. The sixth one is yet to come, but Jesus will take his, his rightful place as reigner and ruler over his kingdom. Now, again, if I'm going to take something home today, it's this. Seek his will and his kingdom in every decision you make. I have discovered, and I don't mean to make this too simple, but my life would be radically different if I just asked one question behind everything I do. So, how I treat my wife, how I treat my two daughters, how I pray for and treat this church body, how I interact with people in Albuquerque, the entertainment choices that I make. If I just simply ask this question, Jesus, will this bring you glory? That answers everything. I can't treat my wife and my daughters poorly. I can't treat you all poorly. I can't neglect praying for you. I can't neglect bringing the gospel to Albuquerque and still say, Jesus, I love you above all else at the same time. So all I have to do is just ask Jesus, will this bring you glory? Now, going back to verse 18, something else that we learn is that God's promise is actualized, and that invokes worship of him. Listen to this. There is a time for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. In using the term servants and prophets and saints, God is now covering everybody that belongs to him. All of those that have ever trusted the Lord Jesus are going to be rewarded. And I sometimes look in the mirror and go, wait a minute, I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve heaven, let alone all these other rewards that you're going to give me. Let me just give you a few in case you've ever gotten down about what you don't have. Maybe you're struggling right now. Let me encourage you with what you already do have, and you will actually get to see it after this soul leaves this body. One, you get to reign with Jesus in what's called the millennial kingdom. There's going to be this literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth, and we get to come with him and be a part of that. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. This is Jesus speaking. If Jesus says it, count it as golden. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7 speaks of the eternal kingdom. So once that thousand-year reign of Christ is over, Satan gives one more push to try to fight against Jesus. Jesus casts him into the lake of fire where the 
uh, false prophet and the Antichrist will be, and then he establishes the eternal state, and you and I get to reign and rule with him for all of eternity. On top of all of that, we get things like the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, or uh, chapter 4, verse 8, speak to this crown of righteousness that we'll get. We get the crown of life, James chapter 1, verse 12 speaks of that, and then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 speaks of what we call the crown of glory. So we're going to get these crowns from the Lord. What are those going to look like and what are we going to do with them? I don't know for sure. I know we're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus and use them to worship him. But what I do know for sure is that they're far greater than anything we could ever get here. And think of all the things that we strive for here, but oftentimes throughout the day forget about that which is eternal. Imagine if we simply live for the eternal for the rest of our lives. How would that change things? Well, here's the last thing from verse 18. God's punishment is going to be administered, and that invokes worship of him. The last thing that he says in verse 18 is for the destroying of the destroyers of the earth. There is a guarantee that God's punishment will be administered. Therefore, you and I don't have to go out and take vengeance on people. We have to teach our kids that God will execute justice. Therefore, did you know you don't have to respond to everything that people say on Facebook Instagram and Twitter. I'm such a hypocrite for even saying that because do you know what my immediate response is when someone says something nasty? I want to fire back. That's my initial response. Many of you all don't know my two teenage girls, but McKenna, my 19-year-old, and Kaylin, my 16-year-old, they both have such a heart for babies. They love kids, and they're both going to probably end up teaching kiddos for the rest of their lives, and they have a heart for the unborn, and they've always stood for the defenseless, and They have never posted anything inflammatory or derogatory, but they both love to just post things about what God's word says, about how God has formed us in our mama's womb. He has fashioned us from the inside out. He is the one who has decided when our life has begun, and he is the one who will decide when it ends. And they just love to post scripture about that and how much they love little ones. And my goodness, the nastiness that they have had in response to that from some of the girls that are their age, the names that they have been called even other adults that have said some nasty things to them and the derogatory things that have come at them. My response as daddy is, hey, how about you let me respond? And then my girls, they're better at this than I am. Dad, what do we expect? They're unbelievers that don't know Jesus. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm going to show them who he is. I'm going to send them to be with him. And they're, they're like, no, dad, no, no, it's okay. God will take care of it. And to which I look at them and go, would you stop preaching at me the things that I've taught you? I'm sick of it. You're grounded. Go to your room. That's that's the way it goes. I do want to note this before we look at this final verse. The key to all of Scripture and a theme throughout all of Scripture is that God is supreme and he's sovereign over all things. So we don't have to freak out. We don't have to take vengeance. We can leave that to the Lord. Now, there's this weird balance that we have to weigh. As men, speak up. Be warriors for your family. Be warriors for your church. Let's just be aware of how we do it. There are things that infuriate me, and we have to speak out against them because it's ruining our kids. It's ruining our families. That should bother us to the point where we say something, but we also have to remember what our weapons are. Our weapons are the Word of God in prayer. So I don't have to go out looking to take somebody out. I need to be praying for them. So do you see that fine balance? Open your mouth. 
Speak out. Let's be men. We cannot shy away from the truth. We cannot shy away from the fact that Jesus taught us what is real, what is true, what is manly, what is not. But while we do that, we do that reminding ourselves that many of these people that we are engaging in the battle with are not the actual enemies. They're victims of the enemy that have bought into his lies. And so we've got to bring the truth of the gospel to them. Remember, God is sovereign and he's supreme over all things. I love the way verse 19 wraps up this passage. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. The beast, that first beast, the Antichrist, he desecrates the earthly temple, but he can't touch God's heavenly temple. And one day we're going to be with him, and that's going to reflect his perfect character, his righteousness, his holiness, his omnipotence. We're going to get to experience all that. I can't wait. So I want you to take heart. We live in a world that's been desecrated by the enemy. We live in a world that's been desecrated by sin, but we have a world awaiting us that the enemy can't touch, a world where there's no more sickness, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more death. And it's so guaranteed that the gospel writers write about it as if we're already there. Remember, God is guaranteed that he will be worshipped by his followers. He will reward his followers, and he will make sure that there is punishment for those that reject him. That's a 100% guarantee. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. I left about 15 minutes at the end because there's three things we're going to do together as a church family before you leave here. So when I'm done praying, don't get ready to get up and leave. Let me just pray for our church body, especially with some of the challenges that we've been given from God's word today in just five short verses. Let me pray for us and then uh, stick around with me. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one who is worthy to be worshiped. And Lord, while there are many in society that mock you, uh, there are many in society that mock your plan for biblical manhood and masculinity, for fatherhood, Lord, we ask that you would help us just to simply keep our eyes on the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith in our entire life as well. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the perfect Heavenly Father, that you give us that perfect example of what a father is supposed to be. We are just so thankful that you made us, that you created us, that you sustain us, that you protect us, and that one day you're going to take us to be with you where you're at. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for this morning. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.